The Start On Demand. On demand. Who are you named after? We'll tell you the story of a baby named after Logan Boulay of the Humboldt Broncos and how that baby has been a gift for that family. And we'll discuss the sometimes amusing origins of our names. In Ottawa, the saga continues. Jody Wilson-Raybould kicked out of caucus. The Prime Minister says they were brought in to do politics differently, but does this feel like politics as usual? Nova Scotia could be the first jurisdiction in North America to adopt presumed consent for organ donations, and movie websites across North America have been crashing since early Tuesday morning as Avengers Endgame crushes the first day pre-sales box office record in just six hours. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, April 3rd podcast for The Start. The big story this morning has to do with the ongoing, never-ending saga <laughs> in Ottawa. Yeah, just when you think it's uh, done, something else happens. And this is something many thought were g- was going to happen a while ago, Greg. Yeah, and as you likely know by now, Jody Wilson-Raybould and Dr. Jane Philpott are out of the Liberal Party caucus. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said in a press conference yesterday that the pair had been expelled as the fallout from the SNC Lavalin. He always really, he really emphasizes that when he speaks, uh, scandal continues. Trudeau's presser, I don't think he, he used the word uh, scandal, by the way. Trudeau's presser came minutes after Liberal MPs gathered on Parliament Hill for an emergency meeting to determine the future of Wilson-Raybould and Philpott within the party. If a politician secretly records a conversation with anyone, it's wrong. When that politician is a cabinet minister secretly recording a public servant, it's wrong. And when that cabinet minister is the Attorney General of Canada secretly recording the clerk of the Privy Council, it's unconscionable. In the end, it was in fact that tape, the audio tape of a phone conversation that Wilson-Raybould had last December with Michael Warnock, the clerk of the Privy Council. Wilson-Raybould made that tape, but, of course, as the Prime Minister just said, never told Warnock about it, and then last week she published it. This really was the last straw. This tape, though, supported her allegation that Trudeau and his senior aides were inappropriately pressuring her to intervene in favor of SNC-Lavalin in their criminal court case. And that tape, as many Liberals told me today, was just going right over the line. Now, for Philpott, the last straw was a media interview that she gave to McLean's magazine a couple of weeks ago, in which she warned there was, quote, more to come, more to be told. And that was taken by the caucus and apparently by the prime minister as a threat, a threat that, between the two of them, they would continue to do more harm, more damage to the liberal brand and to its leader, Justin Trudeau. Trust that previously existed between these two individuals and our team has been broken. It's interesting where the line is from the inside, Loren McNabb, and that idea of where trust has been broken and what action you're prepared to take in order to reinstill that trust. Trust has been broken in the eyes of the Canadian public. Maybe not everyone, but a a good majority of Canadians feel trust has been broken and was broken months ago. And now you have the Liberal Party taking action from within. She clearly lost her trust or faith in the party and him back in December when she went to the lengths to record that conversation. Sure. And then for Trudeau, I guess that's where he lost his trust or faith in her because, as you heard him say, you know, that was 
unconscionable for someone to do that. And so that line of trust is something voters will have to – I think that will be the issue as you head into the polls of just who do you trust in this saga. Justin Trudeau campaigned on a platform of difference, right, of of business in a different way, politics in a new fashion. This feels like politics as usual. doesn't feel different at all. Maybe – in the length of time that it took for him to come around to this dish, uh, this decision and what the line in the sand was for him. But it still feels like politics as usual. I'm curious how many Liberal Party supporters out there are still thinking, though, that these were the actions of what I've when I've read this on Twitter and other social media places, two women who were vindictive or going after had their own agenda or going to do something and do they still just think that that's the case or are, are they also coming around to the idea that it was so much more than that and perhaps the uh, vindictiveness is on their leader's side if you're in an organization if you're in an organization where, where you believe you've been you've been sold you've been brought in based on the overarching values whether it's a private organization, maybe you're a fan of a certain hockey team and, and you've bought into the philosophy, why, why should you have to be the one that leaves when that, the promise that was broken is being broken? And the, the promises that, that you were given and the rhetoric that was delivered on how we were going to do things moving forward isn't matching up to actions. Why am I always, when I'm, you know, we talked about this and spoke about it right off the top using the term whistleblower. If I'm the one that stands up and says, hey, you're not doing what you promised you were going to do. Why does it feel as though I'm the one that always has to leave? Why does the person who's pointing out the misconduct, the change in direction, the mismanagement, why are they the ones that always need to fall on a sword? Leaders are not forever. Justin Trudeau, there were leaders before him. There'll be leaders of the Liberal Party after. He is not the Liberal Party, but Loren, maybe I've misjudged that in terms of how it's seen well, in that's a what political I, Well, that's what view. I'm saying, and the, the promise was broken in politics when she stopped doing what she was supposed to do, I think, in the Prime Minister's mind. Like, you know, we kind of phoned you up and we sort of told you we'd really like you to think this way, and she kept saying no, and then was removed from her position, mm-hmm. and then quit and then said a lot of things about her leader. And so the promise, if you're in politics, is to to support your party and your leader. And that's, I think, the, it's a fault of a bigger system. The politics doesn't work if you can't have your own opinions, if you have to eventually always vote with your party instead of voting with your heart or with your constituency or with your morals, right? I mean, that's the whole, that's the whole issue with it to begin with and why people trust, if we're talking trust, don't mm-hmm. trust politics because— why am I voting for you? Do you actually believe that? Or do you just do, do what you're told and support a bigger party agenda? And is this just as simple as don't cross the boss? I think in this case, Brett, that's very well summarized. Yeah, that's exactly how it feels. And Andrew Shear, conservative leader, saying as well, the message they have sent today is clear. If you tell the truth, there is no room for you in the Liberal Party of Canada. Of course, doing what he's supposed to be doing as leader of the opposition, he's not going to get up and throw them a ticker tape parade and say, hey, well done. But... I'd like to hear. So we haven't fully heard. I mean, uh, Jody Wilson, were able did tweet yesterday that she, you know, that there was she had to think about the decision, and there's more decisions mm-hmm. for her to make because now she can't run as a liberal. So will she run as an independent? What will she do there? And so that's fascinating to watch. If she runs, you know, where does she end up in the House of Commons? She, I'd, I'd likely suspect that she 
would win. But she did say, quote, what I can say is that I hold my head high. I look myself in the mirror knowing I did what I was required to do and what needed to be done based on principles and values that must always transcend party. I have no regrets. I spoke the truth as I will continue to do. And one of our listeners saying, let's not forget about the pink elephant sitting in the room (laughs) and the garbage in the corruption that was brought to light. And that's where a lot of Canadians are applauding Jody Wilson-Raybould for standing up and saying, hey, we weren't doing something right. She didn't come right out and throw everyone out of the bus. She looked and worked through the process that was available to her, parliamentary committees and testifying before, answering questions. She didn't go off script in those testimonies in my estimation and now this is what she gets in return for for bringing that what she sees as corruption improprietary actions and some people look at it going downright potentially criminal activity on behalf of the PMO and not just the political part of that there's the corruption within potential within the allegations against SNC-Lavalin. So there's all these briberies that are being paid all over the world from different companies to do business. And are Canadians prepared to turn the other way? Like there's so many things to focus on beyond the fact that there's this political game underway. As we said earlier this morning, the saga continues in Ottawa. And it goes with Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott being kicked out of the Liberal Party caucus. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau saying they've been expelled as the fallout from this SNC-Lavalin scandal continues. David Aiken is Global National's chief political correspondent and joins us on the phone now from Ottawa for more. Good morning, David. Morning, guys. Yeah, busy day yesterday in Ottawa because that that departure from the caucus announcement happened about 6.15 local time. But all day long, we had uh, the Liberal Regional Caucus met to talk about it. MPs were talking about it. And Gerald Butts's 39 pages of new evidence was tabled by the Justice Committee. Butts, of course, that former principal secretary, and he put more evidence on the record about conversations and emails and text between Trudeau and Wilson-Raybould and Butts. So, uh, yeah, we we, uh, we kept a little busy uh, up here on Parliament Hill yesterday. <laughs> so it was okay, David, for Gerald Butts to hold on to some of his cards he had to play, but somehow unconscionable for Jody Wilson-Raybould to do the same. Yeah, and it was the tape. That that was the thing that really was the last straw for the Prime Minister, for a lot of Liberals. And that tape we're talking about is a phone conversation that Wilson-Raybould had with the Clerk of the Privy Council last December. It's a conversation she taped. She didn't tell Wernick, the Clerk of the Privy Council, that she taped it. And when that came out last week... Uh, a lot of liberals said that was uh, that was beyond the pale. So that was the last straw for her. As for Jane Philpot, and I think people thought there might be you know a chance for her to stay in caucus. As for Philpot, it looks like the last straw there was a, a media interview she gave with McLean's magazine a couple of weeks ago, in which she said, among other things, that the the full story had not been told, that there was more to come, and a lot of liberals really took that as a threat that these two women were going to continue to hurt the liberal brand and hurt the personal credibility of the prime minister. And, uh, you know, the caucus was sort of telling the PM, you know, you got to act. And uh, and finally he did. Now, they've been described by some as sort of two thorns in the side of the prime minister and many in the party saying, you know, they should have been kicked out long ago. And I think if I'm going to guess what the Prime Minister's motives are now, it would be that, you know, he hopes to move on from this. But I don't know. Do you think this is going to alleviate any pain for the party? It's still going to be an issue, absolutely. And 
you know, the, the prime minister's uh, challenge now is party unity. And I'm not talking just about liberal MPs on Parliament Hill who I would say by and large, but not unanimously, supported what happened. I'm talking about the party more broadly. And, you know, right now, party headquarters is busy with uh, campaigns to ask the volunteers and fundraisers who pitched in in 2015 to help elect Trudeau to do it again this year. We're in an election year, and they're reaching out to, to uh, volunteers and fundraisers. And I can tell you that there are I've spoke to some of these fundraisers and volunteers or, or people who gave money, and they're a little less enthusiastic about Trudeau. Remember, he was the feminist prime minister, and let's review what's happened with four women in his caucus. Just two, Wilson Raybould and, and uh, Phil Potter out, but also Selena Cesar Chavan, the Toronto area MP. She quit uh, you know, earlier this year because she was at loggerheads about Trudeau's leadership style. And last year we saw Leona Alislev, another liberal MP from the Toronto area, quit the caucus entirely. She's crossed the floor. She's now as a conservative. One, two, three, four women. And at that point, the gender, I don't think, is a coincidence. It's time now, and a lot of women who are liberals are telling me this, saying, you know, Trudeau has to maybe assess something here. Here's something interesting. Today, or this week, uh, on Parliament Hill, there's a group here, all women, young women, college-age women, three or four hundred of them. They're brought here by a group called Equal Voice. And Equal Voice is a project to get more women to run in politics for any party. Just get more women in politics. And these women are called the, it's the Daughters of the Vote Project. Well, you know what? They'll be in the House of Commons. They're sort of having a mock session this morning. 338 women in the House of Commons. It's a powerful symbol. I've covered this event before in other years. And Trudeau is going to speak to them. Well, he's going to have to explain about how he's having problems with his women in caucus to these 300 young women who, I can tell you this, when they had an event earlier this week, they had a reception to, to meet some of the MPs. Well, Jody Wilson-Raybould came to that reception, and the lineup was out the door for these women to have a selfie taken with her because they admire her more than any of the other Liberal MPs that showed up to that event. It's going to be an interesting morning for the PM. In fact, I saw some tweets from some of those women out last night saying, you know, quote, do better, Prime Minister. And this will this will be part of yeah. the the renewed, I think, uh, passion for them to say, like, we, we want to be in politics, but not in politics like this. And so I'm assuming that the PMO is pretty aware of this and sees the writing on the wall. And Trudeau is going to address this and uh, and speak about it. Uh, again, that happens about noon Eastern time. But that's one example, again, of a group of voters that may have some issues. In those texts that I talked about between Butts and Wilson-Raybould, new texts that were released yesterday, there's one series of exchanges where Wilson-Raybould, this is back in January, when she knows she's going to be shuffled at a cabinet, she warns Butt, saying, you know what, indigenous communities are going to rise up. She's, she says she's worried about what will happen. She, of course, was the country's first ever indigenous justice minister. And, and there's lots of indigenous leaders who are now going, wait, I thought Trudeau was uh, different. And they're now questioning where they may lend their support. So women, indigenous voters, that's pretty tough for the feminist prime minister committed to reconciliation. David, we got a text message here that says, The trust that had previously existed between me and my Prime Minister has been broken. As a result, for the first time in my life, I will be voting against someone rather than for someone. Now, David, the Prime Minister said the Liberals were brought in to do politics differently, but this text message seems to echo a sentiment that maybe it's just politics as usual. And this is, uh, you know, that's a powerful sentiment. Generally, incumbent governments lose 
when people vote against them. That certainly is the case with Stephen Harper in 2015. There was a lot of people who just, I, I got to get rid of Harper, and Trudeau was the beneficiary of that. And if that, if there's enough of that feeling that I'm saying, I'm sorry, I've got to vote against this prime minister who I feel betrayed my confidence to do politics differently, that's not good for the liberals. It, now we have to see which party picks it up. In a couple of by-elections, we've seen the Green Party benefit from liberals who are uh, disillusioned. Uh, is this Elizabeth May's time to shine? I, I'm not suggesting she's going to be prime minister, but if she could increase the number of seats, she's only got one right now, her own, could she win 10? I bet they would all come from areas right now where liberals are holding the seats. We have gathered the troops here to talk about who we're named after and what's the inspiration for this story. Greg. Well, you know what? As I type this out, I actually imagined you reading this because oh, really? you tell such a great story and such a, a great voice. So would you do us the honor of, of scrolling and, and reading through this? Kelsey Fiddler, who is from the Red Earth Cree Nation in Saskatchewan, was pregnant and traveling with her two sons on a clear afternoon last April when a semi-trailer shot into the path of a bus carrying the junior hockey team. She was just a few meters away, stopped at the intersection and facing the truck driver when the impact occurred. Fiddler said she tried to stay calm as first responders arrived at the crash site, but suddenly she was having contractions. She didn't want to distract from rescue efforts or take up an ambulance, so she drove herself to the hospital in Nipawin. The baby was healthy and the contraction stopped. In the weeks that followed, as the baby kicked inside her, she learned how Logan Boulay, a 21-year-old defenseman, had signed an organ donation card on his birthday five weeks before he was killed. The expecting mother reached out to Logan's parents, Bernadine and Toby Boulette, and explained her connection to the crash. They gave her permission to name her soon-to-be-born baby in honor of their son. On June 4th, Logan Humble Strong was born at the Victoria Hospital in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. So that made Greg wonder, who are we named after? First of all, that's a beautiful name. It's a beautiful, What a great name, name and what a legacy that is. That's a really nice gesture. Without question. That's a great thing, too. It got us thinking, like, when, you're, when you grow up and you learn the origins of your name, you're often proud of where it came from, or it makes you think, oh, that's thanks, Mom and Dad, that's really cool. Or sometimes you don't like it. You think, why did I have to be named after my great-great-grandfather whose name nobody liked? Or those kinds of things, right? So it got us thinking. Jeffrey, you're named after... Uh, you know what? You're not I, Jeffrey, are you? You're just Jeff. No, I'm Jeffrey. You're Jeffrey. Yeah. Okay. And it had never in my life even occurred to me to ask who I was named after. Really? I didn't think I was named after anyone. I just thought I was a 100% original. And about 10 years ago, Christmas morning, my parents sat me and my sister down and they're like, hey, we found old slides and we're going to look at these old slides. And so we ran through these slides for like an hour. And most of them are from the 70s when my parents were young and dating or newlyweds kind of thing. And then there's this one slide of just... The creepiest guy I have ever seen with his arm draped around my mother. And I go, oh, my God, who in the hell is that? And Dad goes, oh, that was my old friend Jeff you're named after. Him. Oh, my God, that is amazing. And I was like, well, where is he now? How come I never heard of him? He's like, oh, I lost touch with him years ago. He's a drifter or something. I, just, I have no idea where he is. Heartfelt name yeah. give. So, like, oh, that's awesome. Well, we picked the right. Subject matter this no, morning. Let me tell you that. that tugs at the heartstrings, just like the Logan Boulay yeah, story. I know. Yeah. <laughs> They're not quite on the same level. Yeah, no, yeah. no, for sure. Inspiring, nonetheless. Yeah. Kelly Moore. I have no idea. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm a, an observatory uh, 
uh, participant in this conversation. Okay, well, what about your kids? Uh, did you did you have inspirations when you when no, no just no, just the names, names that you like yeah. easy to spell. Oh yeah, yeah. that was that's boring. Uh, Jeff Forche. <laughs> boring. Jeff Forche. I can't go uh, up against Braun's story there. Sorry. You're Come forced on. to now, It'd Kelly. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm with Kelly. My, Maybe my, you're named after that same guy. Maybe he drifted <laughs> into your family. Who knows? Who knows? No, I'm, I I I have no idea. I, my middle name is Cole. And I asked my parents, like, where'd you guys come up with that one? They're like, oh, no, we just liked it. It went well with your name. So I, I, I'm like Kelly. I have no idea. It's just it's well, just my name. My name, thankfully, has never it never caught on in the sense that it could have been one of the many dumb nicknames that kids hurl at each other. Because my name is Brett, uh, named after uh, my parents had a friend named Brett, and my mom just always liked the name Brett. I like that. It sounds good. Uh, and they named, my middle name is Steven. And somehow it managed to evade me for my whole life that when you use my initials, I am B.S. McGarry. <laughs> so. Even if you don't use the middle one, you're just B.M., which is kind of gross. Too. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think about that for one of my boys until they got their initials for their birthday when they were two years old, oh, hung yeah. it in the room, and I went, hmm. All right. Well, I guess I didn't think that one through. I tried to think about all the rhyming and all the different ways that you could spin uh, their names around. And that one I sort of missed. Uh, Loren, your story is pretty interesting. Well, hold on. Hold on. What? What are the initials? BM. BM. No, but, oh, okay. <laughs> BM. All right. Yeah. Same Which, initials. Does anyone say that? Is that a thing? No. I don't think that's a thing for kids. I think that's for us that old was, people. Yeah. Grandmas used to say that to us when we were kids. I'm uncomfortable even just, my hands are like <laughs> sweating, like stop saying those initials. Blech. So what was your uh, Well, story there's, no, there's no story in that it, I come from a family of four kids and each of my siblings is actually named after someone. And so when I was growing up, I was like, well, what, where did you get my name from? And it was from a babysitter. Like, she just liked the name of this woman, and so I'm named Loren. And so I was kind of what used to always rag on my parents growing up. Like I, everybody else got a name that had like a legacy, at least their middle name, not always yeah. their first name, but the middle name had some sort of connection to somebody in the family, and I got nothing. And then when I went and named my firstborn, I gave him two names that have zero connections <laughs> to anybody. I just like the names. And my sister's like, I can't believe for like 30 years we've been hearing you complain about your name having zero family connection. And then you just went and did that to your kid. And I was like, I like the name. Now, I just want to make sure. It was your mom that decided on using the babysitter's name yes. or was it your dad well, it wasn't that actually. It wasn't. She wasn't actually our babysitter. She was like a... Um, a girl in town who babysat, okay, and okay. she was a, kind want, of like a cousin of some sort. Sure. So, and I sure. actually think her, the pronunciation might have been Lauren, and they went with Loren. You talked about rhyming. Yes, friends of mine, Kent and Eileen Page. They uh, they were getting ready for their their firstborn boy together. Uh, they already, Eileen already had a daughter, Amelia, but. So they, they, I said, have you settled on a name? And they said, yes, we've been working on it for a while. We finally settled on Carter. And immediately I said, like Carter the farter? <laughs> and we're sitting on their back deck and Kent kind of looks at me with this sort of stone face. And you could just see his bottom lip trembling like he's so mad. And he turns into Eileen and says, Eileen, Carter's out. <laughs> at least you got it beforehand. My sister, when she you. was looking up names for her kids, she said, she gave me her list of her boys' names. And she's like, what do you think about Jake? And I was like, I really love Jake. That's great. She's like, go through all the possibilities with our last name and the middle name stuff. I was like, no, it's a great name. So she has her kids puts out the email because they were twins, the baby's born, and my brothers and my husband immediately yell out, 
Jake the Snake Roberts because their last name is Roberts. Oh, oh my God. And then, oh. My, and then my sister's like, Loren, what you? Advice for this. And I was like, no, I didn't. I didn't think. Sorry. I'm sorry 1984 WrestleMania didn't come to mind. <laughs> but they love it. And so, of course, now, poor kids, Jake the Snake. Got a couple minutes here. We just want to read some texts on the origin of names and Loren One caught your attention. Well, I love this one. We were talking early this morning about where did you get your name and did it have family meeting or not? Well, this listener said that her husband's middle name is Edward. The story goes that his father was in a bar in Altona when he was born and the guy beside him said, give you $5 if you name him Edward. <laughs> Does a middle name like, count? Yeah. Think so? Sure. I mean, the game's. I mean, kind of a throwaway, but not really. It means it something to some people. It is not a throwaway. The second, the second middle name. The second middle name could be interpreted as a throwaway, but I think the middle name is very special because, like, I'm named after my dad, and then uh, which one of my sons? I guess Alexander has my first name as a middle name, but my dad is actually Gregory, but he goes by his middle name like a lot of people mm-hmm. of his generation did, and then you know I go by Greg, and then Gregory's been passed down to to Alexander. But Brendan's got David, who's named after my grandfather, his great-grandfather, and my brother's middle name is David after my grandfather. So there's a lot of symbolism there. And, I mean, let's face it, we we name our kids quite often. But isn't the middle name Based on the times, Alexander and Brendan, I mean, I can't find anybody in my family. Brendan Shanahan is is not a relation, just someone that that (laughs) Jackie and I both liked as a hockey player. When I use throwaway, though, it's more that you're not going to give your – lots of people don't want to give their kid the relative's fir- – the first name of the relative. And so the middle name becomes that sort of um, – That's when you honor the, the, the person that you want to honor. Don't you want, want to – if you if they were so important to you, why didn't they get the first name? Oh, jeez, McNabb. Mackley, McGarry, and McNabb. In a moment, we want to tell you about a 13-year-old who did yeoman's work to help out his mom. But before we do that, we got lots of text messages on the origin of your name after we talked about that last half hour. Greg, what are you seeing on our text line? My grandmother gave me a tip for naming children. Go to the back door, yell that name, and tell him or her it's time for supper because you're going to be yelling that name for many, many years. Mm, that's, wow. that's some good advice. I've done that with the dogs in the past, just to make sure you don't sound too foolish calling your dog. We had another listener write in to say the th- first thing after her second son was born, the doctor said that, boy, they, you know, this kid's got a big mouth. And the initials to his name actually spell Jaws. <laughs> and nice. I'd like to know what the full name is, but that's pretty good. That is, that is. Brett, you got anything that jumping out at you there? Yeah, well, here's one that kind of tugs at my couch potatoes heartstrings. Greg says, all of my boys' names have some meaning. Oldest is Logan Coleslaw Amadeus. The middle names are his grandfather's names. Middle boy is Gavin Parker Alexander, Parker for Peter Parker. Mm. Youngest is Ferris Carter Preston, Ferris for Ferris Bueller, because John Hughes was one of the greatest filmmakers oh, wow. of our time. That's an interesting, I like the idea. If you someone really means something to you, too, it doesn't have to be, you always make this assumption it's a family connection, right? But like a movie character or a director or an athlete or... Well, a lot of, I think one of the most popular baby names, if I'm not mistaken, in recent years has been... Um, 
Oh my God, I can't believe it. Oh, uh, Khaleesi from mm-hmm. Game of Thrones. That's right. Wow. Which actually isn't even a name, it's a title. Well, I think, regardless. Uh, and I think Jordan has become a very popular name because of Michael Jordan. For sure. And people like the kids, my kids like to know what, is there a meaning to their name? Like, what does it mean? Like a translation, if you look it up, you know, it can mean champion or graceful. Or And I just had one of our camera people at Global, Randall's, <laughs> inform me that his name means wolf shield. Of course it does. I was, Come I, on, that's amazing. I, it is amazing. I feel like this guy, I feel like he went searching for the one website that decided this name Randall is an English baby name. In English, the name means Wolf Shield. I'm calling BS on Randall, but I'll look that up. Well, when we all move in together downtown at 201 Portage. I'm like, uh, what's happening now? Yeah, when when CJOB and Global become one under one roof, I will never call him by his name. He (laughs) shall be Wolf Shield. Henceforth known as Wolf Shield. We should get him a shirt. That's a great, he's a great shooter. So, you know, I don't mind giving him this name, Wolf Shield. I'm changing my name to Randall, just so I can say that. So, Greg, what does this 13-year-old do? A local family. This is in Fernley, Nevada, by the way, and this is from our friends at KOLO. ABC 8 in Reno, Nevada. A local family recently started life over after an unfortunate and unexpected situation. Crystal Preston, the single mother that lives in Fernley with her three kids and three dogs, is trying to make ends meet with no means of transportation. That's when her 13-year-old man of the house stepped in. Outside of school, William does yard and housework for people in the community to make a little extra money. I saw people on YouTube and they get their mom a car. And then just, like, surprise their mom with the car. And then I wanted to do it. William then turned to Facebook, where he saw a woman was selling a white Chevy Metro. It was really cheap, so I asked if I could trade the Xbox or earn it. And then she said, uh, at first she said no, and then she said she thought about it, and then she said yes. He kept coming in and, like, asking me, like, just odd questions about vehicles in different parts, and I'm like... Okay, why? Like, what? William's quest soon became reality. Mom, I got you a car, and then she's like, no, you didn't. She just, and then I was like, I did, and then, and then she didn't believe me. She picked us up, and then we went to her house, and then I was like, Mom, there's your car. I lost it. I bawled so bad. I was just like, there's, there's no way. What 13-year-old do you know buys her mom a car? I don't know any. I don't know any. (laughs) Incredible story. It's beautiful. What a great gesture from that kid. And we were talking this morning that this will, you know, like the pay it forward idea, like he's done something nice for his mom. I bet you someone out there, a company somewhere is going to find a way to do something nice for that kid. He'll have a new Xbox in no I time so. flat. Oh, I hope for so. Sure. Yeah, At least kid, a used one. Yeah, like kids work so hard to save their money to get an Xbox. Mm-hmm. He trades his in to help his mom. Just incredible. Here's the headline at globalnews.ca. Nova Scotia could be first jurisdiction in North America to adopt presumed consent for organ donations. Yeah, the words tattooed on Cindy Ryan's left forearm are a constant reminder of the importance of organ donation in her life. They say, recycle yourself. Together we live on. A two-time liver transplant recipient, Ryan, was on hand yesterday for the unveiling of proposed legislation that would make Nova Scotia the first jurisdiction in North America to adapt presumed consent around organ donation. Here's Global's Jeremy Keefe. This is our first step to ensuring that we continue to increase the rate because we know there's more work to be done. 
It isn't often that Nova Scotia Premier Stephen McNeil introduces a bill, but with the blessing of Health Minister Randy Delory, the man who leads the province made the province a leader. The Human Organ and Tissue Donation Act presumes everyone to be a potential donor, allowing those who do not wish to be a donor to opt out. Nova Scotia will be the first jurisdiction in North America to have such legislation. Instead of requiring that forms be filled out to donate, there will now be presumed consent for all Nova Scotians. While it may be new to our part of the world, in places where it has been implemented, like the UK, donation rates have significantly improved. Winnipegger Kristen Miller received a new heart more than five years ago, a gift which saved her life. She joins us now. Kristen, what was your reaction when you heard about Nova Scotia's proposed legislation? I think it's pretty remarkable. Obviously, I can understand firsthand the impact of organ donation in my own life. And I think that anything that can enable more people to get the gift that I've gotten and still give full power and full consent to people making their own decision what's done with their organs can be a really, really good thing. Kristen, maybe walk us through a little bit what it's what it's like to be on a waiting list and, and knowing that you need that gift from somebody else, the generosity from someone else to to live. How long were you waiting for your heart? Yeah, I was a pretty unusual organ donation story in that I was not sick. I was young. I was healthy. And 26-year-old woman who was living her life, and they still are not sure sort of what happened. I caught what I thought was the flu in 2009, ended up being heart failure. So, I mean, that's a pretty scary thing to go through and a really terrible thing to go through for my family. I had this really incredible battery-powered pump called an LVAD, which um, enabled me to live a relatively normal life, going home, going to the gym, but I was still attached to a battery-operated pump that I need to care with me for all time. I was a really hard match. I was on the list for two years. And at that point, lots of your life kind of has to go on pause. I was grateful to have the LVAD, so grateful, and I was really really motivated to be as healthy as I could. But you still can't have the freedom as you do when you actually have a heart transplant. It must feel like sometimes that you're just watching a clock wind down as you hope for that phone call to come. I think you are waiting, and I was living fully. You know, I was really lucky in that I wasn't otherwise sick. But, you know, there were things like I couldn't travel more than, like, 15 minutes outside the city. But, I, you know, I am really, really lucky to be here, and I felt like I've been lucky the whole way through. You've had uh, correspondence with the donor family. Talk about the, the impact that's had on you and your desire to share the message of the value and the, and the gift that is uh, organ donation, Kristen. I think probably one of the biggest things for me is, yes, this heart is amazing. I'm doing great. I haven't spent a night in hospital since. But knowing that they had made this decision, and it's a really difficult decision to make. You know, 90% of all Canadians do want to donate, but very, very few people actually go online or talk to their loved ones. So their decision, their, you know, to donate their loved one's organs at the worst time of their life, that's a huge impact on my life and what I want to give back in the world. I want to give a little bit of the gratefulness the kindness and selflessness that they showed to me. 
this year I was actually able to connect with my my donor family directly as they found some social media and some media that I had done already. And being able to say thank you directly, I mean, that there's no... There's no bigger thing that you can have. Kristen Miller joining us live on 680 CJOB. Kristen, thank you for joining us to share your story. Of course. Thank you. Kristen received a new heart more than five years ago, a gift which saved her life. And we've been talking about the headline, Nova Scotia could be first jurisdiction in North America to adopt presumed consent for organ donations. You can read more by linking to it off the 680 CJOB Instagram story. This afternoon and late tonight, a reception will be held in Ottawa in recognition of Green Shirt Day and National Organ and Tissue Donation Awareness Week. Now, Green Shirt Day, which happens later this week on Sunday, was actually born out of the death of Logan Boulay, who was killed in the Humboldt Broncos bus crash almost one year ago. But as Matt Patokio explains, his passing inspired thousands to pass their organs on. Logan Boulay's wish to donate his organs after death spurred thousands across the country to become organ donors. Boulay died as a result of injuries in the Humboldt Broncos bus crash. His parents, Toby and Bernadine, have seen their boy's impact firsthand when meeting people on donation wait lists. They talk about Logan and how thankful they are, and you're just like, he's just our kid, and we just... We're thankful that he has had an impact and a lasting impact on people, Um, but we really miss him and would love to have him back. On April 7th, the day Logan passed away, the Boulay family is launching Green Shirt Day in conjunction with the Canadian Transplant Association and Live On Canada. Green Shirt Day is about um, promoting organ donor awareness in in Canada, and it's also about honoring the Logan Boulay effect. So those kinds of stories make a huge difference in encouraging others to sign their organ donor cards. Surveys have shown the majority of Canadians actually support organ donation, but we still know not enough actually sign that physical piece of paper. So it's one reason why just yesterday, Nova Scotia introduced a law on presumed consent. Yeah, if that law passes or that bill passes, it will be the first in North America, Nova Scotia, to introduce presumed consent, which means every person in that province would be considered a potential donor unless they opt out. For more on what could me- what that could mean, we're joined by Dr. Adrian Robertson, Medical Director with the Gift of Life Program with Transplant Manitoba. And Dr. Robertson, a landmark day for organ donation in North America, fair to say? Well, I think it's a very interesting day. I'm not quite sure whether this is going to be a positive or negative yet, but it's very interesting. And why is that? So there's there's been... Um, there's only been a, a small number of jurisdictions that have impl- that have put in implied consent, um, and the results so far are mixed. So we'll be watching what happens in Nova Scotia very interestingly when it starts in about a year. What kind of mixed results? Well, so so as you can imagine, um, so just so just here in Manitoba, we already presume that everybody would be interested in donating until we ask the question and find out if people actually do want to or don't want to donate. So there's a portion of that that's already sort of baked into the system. I think that there's a couple of things that may be unintended consequences that I worry about, particularly here in Manitoba. And so the first is, is that I don't think people like being told what to do, uh, especially with something at the end of life. 
and especially with something like their organs. So I think if we're told we have to pay a particular tax, we have to pay that tax. I don't think we necessarily like it. I think if we're told that um, our organs belong to somebody else, I'm not sure how much we like that. Um, here in Manitoba, as you can see in some of the polls, we have less than 50% support for an idea like this. Our consent rate, which I'd love to see go higher, and we're working hard on, on how we do that, um, is still really below 50%. We also have a very real and significant uh, portion of the population that has spiritual beliefs that go against the idea of, of donating organs. And so for me to disrespect that portion of the population and say that, say that they should give me their organs unless they sign up on an internet site um, would not be being respectful the way I think we should be respectful of all Manitobans. Is that not why those countries, so Spain, Austria, Belgium, with that presumed consent law, have the opt-out clause? So if I, if I know now I either have spiritual reasons or I won't want to do it, I sign a piece of paper that, where I opt out. Does that, is that not the fail-safe there? Um, I don't know. I don't know that that's really an effective failsafe. So I think, I think that not everybody has the opportunity necessarily to participate in that. And I think at the end of the day, um, it always comes down to asking the family, what does their loved one believe? It's not like, it's not like if you haven't signed, if you haven't taken the time to sign up, we're going to use force against you uh, to take your loved one's organs. Um, so it still comes down to a conversation, and I think a conversation comes across very differently when I'm asking you for the gift of life versus telling you telling you that I have some kind of right uh, to to your loved one's organs. And I think one conversation is very different, considerably more healing than the other. And I guess to highlight how sensitive this conversation can be for folks, even if you do sign that blue card attached to your license or, or when you get that opportunity to do so, you're being asked to go to sign up for life on the website and register. And even if you go to those two measures, there is still that conversation with your family and and that is had uh, at the end of your life but it's critical that you have it before the end of your life if that's your intention. Absolutely. So I mean I think I think by far the most important things that we can do in Manitoba one is get as many people to register on signupforlife.ca as are interested and then the second step is to make your wishes very well known to all your loved ones. Uh, about what your values are and what you would like done at the end of life. Um, those two things, more than anything else, are going to ensure that if you're one of the 3% of Manitobans that die in a way that allows you to donate, you might actually have the chance of donating. All right, Dr. Adrian Rob Robertson joining us live on 680 CJOB, Medical Director with the Gift of Life Program with Transplant Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for your time. Question of the day at cjob.com is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Would you support the idea of presumed consent to create more organ donations? So far, 57% say yes, not enough people are signing up, and 43% say no, it should be my choice. Same result on Twitter, exact same result, 57% uh, say yes. And then on Twitter, same poll as on Twitter, it's a bit uh, wider of a margin, 65% say yes on that question. So you can log on to any of those and we'll also add the poll to our CJOB Instagram story.
And in the meantime, if you feel that strongly about it, and there is not presumed or implied consent in Manitoba, there's no bill on the table. So in the meantime, if you're one of those people that feels as though this is something we should do, the next best thing is to go to sign up for life, register there, have that conversation, let your wife, let your husband, let your parents, let your children know what your intentions are when you pass away. And then that way you can indeed live on. My grandfather donated his body to science Mm -hmm. and even at 93 years old he had to pass an exam to get in for them to actually accept his body they accepted him and and uh, when we finally interned him uh, i joked with him that he that he finally got into university (laughs) in his 90s (laughs) and so pretty proud pretty proud of my grandpa for taking that step and the fact that at his advanced age he was still worthy of being a specimen and and being a part of that program absolutely amazing but that he also let you know, like everybody in the family knew that that was his wish. That was the great gift of Logan Boulay, who's as a teenager, his parents knew that is what he wanted. It's not about how much we lost. It's about how much we have left. Where's the Avengers? We gotta finish this. You trust me? I do. So that's a clip from the latest trailer released yesterday morning for Avengers Endgame, which opens on Thursday, April 25th, and tickets are on sale now as of yesterday morning. You may have seen some geeks like me flapping about this on social media, and you might be annoyed by that. It's like, what is, what's up with this Avengers crap? Oh, there's too many superhero movies. I will agree with you. There are. It is hard too to keep many. up. I'm like, which one is this now? So two questions come immediately to mind, and yep. they're both quick to answer. Yep. Will this be the last movie, the last Avengers movie? And this movie is in three weeks from now? Correct. Not opening this Thursday? That's right. It's opening on April 25th. And as far as the last one... I believe that Marvel is getting ready to sort of move into a new phase, a new era of film. So we might see new superheroes, but there's no way this is going to be the end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But this is the reason why this is going to be so huge is this movie is what Marvel has been building towards since that first Iron Man movie came out in 2008. This is the 22nd movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And the overarching theme in all of them is the end of this story that they've been building towards, where the Avengers take on Thanos. And I think that in terms of a a film achievement, when you tell a story over that many films, it's pretty impressive what they've done here. Then The way that they were able to map it out and fit in all these individual stories, like work in Black Panther, but still have it be a bigger part of the universe. It's pretty impressive. And moviegoers showed how excited they were yesterday I found out, I don't know, about 7.30 that the tickets had gone on sale, and I tried to get tickets for the Grant Park, because I love those recliner seats, mm-hmm. Landmark Cinemas, mm-hmm. Grant Park. You, you, do you Have no. you fallen asleep in them yet, either of no, you? No, that's but- how I know when I'm seeing a good movie. If I manage to stay awake, that gives me at least one thumb up, and then the other... 
thumb comes up if the movie is really good. Can yeah. you bring a blanket there? Because if no. I because if I could, I would Shawl. sleep. They sell blankets. No, they don't. Dinner. Yes, yeah. they do. They sell them. I, I was buying popcorn the other day, no. and they were selling blankets. Yeah. No, then that, then you'd definitely be in the zone because I've used my coat there before and been like, oh, if this just was a little bit longer, I'd be all snuggled up oh, and. No you know, not that I want to sleep, but you know, like sometimes you're going to a movie with your kids and it's not really for you. And you're like, yeah, I could get a two hour nap. They could watch a movie. Well, Everybody plus, wins. If you go with your date, I mean, the arm comes up in the middle, right? So you can pull the arm up and snuggle together. Now I'm worried there's might be over snuggling happening. Over snuggling. You know, mm-hmm. the blanket. Yeah. I, oh, over snuggling. <laughs> over snuggling under the blanket. Yes. Too much. So this movie broke the record for first day pre-sales previously held by Star Wars The Force Awakens in just six hours. It took six hours to break a record which was set over 24 hours. So I was trying to get tickets for Grand Park. And the, we're talking about the early show for that Thursday, April 25th. The early show sold out at Grand Park, sold out at uh, Cineplex IMAX 3D just over here at Polo Park, sold out at the early show for St. Vitale, or near, sold out or near sold out. Like, I could sit in the front row, but I'm not going to do that. And same for McGilvery. I was able to get in for 6 p.m. at Polo Park. But I really wanted to get into the Grand Park because it's a three-hour movie. So those sweet recliner seats would be nice. And just for uh, some context here, I checked to see how many tickets were sold. It would have taken too long to count. But I can tell you that just at Polo Park alone yesterday, as of 4.40 this morning, 1,300 tickets were sold for the first night alone. Never mind the rest of the weekend and never mind the rest of the city. So I have no idea how many people just in this city bought tickets but websites were crashing everywhere. Like Cineplex was super slow all day long yesterday. I went back to Grant Park's website and it's sort of working. Like you can see the listings, but when you clicked on the movie, it would go nowhere. Well, if they were showing the movie at Bell MTS Place, you could easily estimate that they sold out that arena mm-hmm. yesterday to watch that movie. 15,000 movie tickets probably based on what you're the information you're giving and some multipliers and stuff i bet you that number is is very very plausible and on friday april 26th because the movie opens thursday night so they've only got screenings for at night but then they've got the screenings all day starting friday there are 15 screens on friday at polo park alone what yeah so this is a big this movie is going to be a huge event the Opening weekend record is held by Avengers Infinity War at $257 million. Just think about that for a second. One movie. Mm-hmm. In making... one weekend. That's insane. $257 million. And that's How much just is it... in North it, America. Yeah. How much does it cost to make these movies now? $300 million bucks. This one probably has got to be at least $300 million. Just for the star power. With the, the cast, there's like 50 people in right. this movie. But they break <laughs> even now at a weekend at this rate. Yeah. And this one, they're projecting the early projections. And I don't know how they do this, but the early projections are $282 million just for the opening weekend. In North America. In North America. So who knows how long, how much it'll make overseas. Because a lot, of, they make a ton of money overseas too. Like uh, Captain Marvel, I think, doubled what it made in North America overseas. So this is going to be a big deal. So I guess maybe an apology to the non-geeks because 
Avengers is April 25th, but before that, Game of Thrones is on April 14th. <laughs> oh so it's going to be an annoying month for the non-geeks out oh there. And gosh. I just want to... Can I take that week off? <laughs> you could do that. I just, <laughs> just want to make kidding, sure I'm nobody kidding. thinks that I think the Avengers or the Marvel Universe is going anywhere. I just thought maybe this might be it for the Avengers as Agreed. a group. Yeah. yeah, I think they might... I don't know what they're going to do. I think they will they might keep... They have to keep the name, but it'll be new people. I bet you this will be the end of Iron Man and Captain America... Don't you say the end of Iron Man. Yeah, I enjoy that Don't character. You yeah. Dare. Every three years, that is the recommended screening routine for pap tests for women over 25. Yeah, every three years is the recommendation, and it's all about catching possible problems like cervical cancer early. Yet a study done in 2013 found 37% of women diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma hadn't had a pap test in at least five years. And in many cases, there was no record of that woman having a pap test at all. It's why a group of doctors have gathered in Winnipeg today to offer the test, no booking required. And it's all happening at the Winnipeg Clinic at 425 St. Mary Avenue, which is where we find Dr. Leslie Walters now. Good morning, Dr. Walters. Hi, good morning. Well, thanks for joining us. I know you're actually in the middle of helping out so many women today. Why are you doing this? <laughs> we are doing this because we think that it's important. Um, we think that making it accessible is something that we should be doing so that we capture as many people as possible. And sometimes making an appointment um, is not an easy thing to do. So if we just open our doors on a regular basis, we're hoping to make this something that women can do you know, regularly without it being a stressful situation. Is it the booking of the appointment or is it just that, you know, that the people, women forget? What would be the reason why someone wouldn't be doing something? I'm not saying it's my favorite process in the world, but it's, <laughs> but it's uh, something that's so necessary. Right. So first of all, nobody likes having a pap test. Um, but it should be something that um, if you have it done by a provider who's confident and can reassure you, it should not be a stressful or traumatic experience. Um, but if we know that we're sort of dedicating a day to pap tests, then we can take the time that's needed to address people's concerns. And if you know that you're coming to see um, a provider who's comfortable providing these pap tests, then it's probably a little bit easier to to get out the door and and come and get that done. Dr. Some Walt, people have a, yeah? go, no, continue. I apologize. I thought you were through there. No, it's fine. Some people have um, a family doctor that they love very much for everything else, but they don't necessarily want doing their pap test for whatever reason. Um, sometimes it's their own personal reason. Some family doctors um, maybe don't offer it as readily or without a special appointment that usually takes longer to get. So this is just trying to overcome those small barriers. And that was part of the question I wanted to ask you. It might be one thing for a woman to be uncomfortable with the process in the first place, but I suspect it's important that the the, the provider, the doctor uh, or nurse practitioner, whoever you go to see, is comfortable mm-hmm. in this. And that is this is something that they believe in as mandatory maintenance and preventative medicine as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it doesn't have to be believed in, it's science. And um, so any physician or practitioner of healthcare should recognize the importance of it. And you know what, I, I'm not good at everything. And the things that I'm not great at, I get my colleagues to help out with. So a lot of um, practitioners that don't maybe offer PAP tests tend to buddy up with another uh, physician or nurse practitioner who does that for them. 
But if they don't have that sort of contact to provide this service to their patients, sometimes they get sent to a gynecologist. But it doesn't need a half-hour consult appointment. It's not the best use of our healthcare resources. So by opening up these um, walk-in PAP appointments that literally take three minutes, I think we can be a lot more efficient about getting people seen. And uh, it's just one other door that people can go through to access this very important test. Dr. Walters, I remember about 20 years ago, I accompanied my uh, girlfriend to the clinic. She had to get the test. And uh, when she walked out, she she was not happy. She it, it's I, I learned that day that this is not a pleasant experience. So is that maybe why some women don't go to the test just because they don't want to go through with it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's um, it's not enjoyable. It's not fun, um, but it doesn't have to be painful. And it even can be a lot less uncomfortable if just the right amount of time is taken um, to chat with the woman beforehand, to explain what's being done. Um, and we have a wide variety of equipment in our office. Um, so it's not a kind of a one-size-fits-all situation. Um, and as I said to the people I work with this morning, we're going to need a lot of lube today. <laughs> <laughs> Things I didn't think we'd hear on morning radio. There it is. <laughs> Come Doctor, on. Dr. Leslie Walters joining us. Uh, Winnipeg Clinic at 425 St. Mary. The PAP tests are being done there until 4 o'clock today. You can call and book an appointment, but they're also accepting walk-ins. Dr. Walters, yeah, thank you very much up. for joining us. Thank you. And uh, it's 842 on 680 CJOB. Sorry, I'm just a little thrown by that. I, I indeed. Hey, I like the humor in that. And the yeah. whole point is, it's like, it's the same way. I don't know what it's like to have a prostate check as a man, but it's like one of these key things that you keep hearing no over question. and over again. This can save your life. I, I lost a loved one in our family to cervical cancer. So I know the science behind it. And even, but even knowing that, I'm kind of, th- I just don't want to go through this test every three years. And so to hear her say, there's just, you have to work hard to find the people that are going to make it work for you, I think is really important. And to know you can go down there today and not have to call ahead and make an appointment and hopefully we'll get in and get this done, I think is really, really And a really good reminder for guys as well. You know, HPV is a thing for guys as well. So have that conversation with your doctor and uh, make sure you're not carrying that because it's a serious threat to your partner. And as far as the prostate exam goes, McNabb and I certainly, I can't even really empathize with what a pap test is like because I don't know what it's like, I, but I can just tell you that a prostate exam, I remember when the last time I got mine, my doctor had been in there for I don't know how long, but he's, <laughs> at one point he says, how does that feel? Is that uncomfortable? And all I could say was, yes, it is. What do you think? <laughs> I just, remember, just last night I emailed these guys and I was like, are we allowed to talk about all this on the radio because I moved over from TV? And the answer is yes, we should. Yeah, we haven't used the V word once. And we still could. Greg, what is happening on Friday? Well, first of all, I want to say I feel now that you mentioned it the way you did is that I should be deferring this duty to Loren McNabb and her trusty uh, dog and her rocking Ooh. chair on the porch since uh, she likes to judge things from her judging porch. It's true, I do. This would have been an ideal <laughs> assignment do. for it's you, true. but I've been involved in this Next year I can get in fantastic there. event for three years now. It's called Windstock, and it supports one of the great organizations, one of the great... Uh, 
really, it's an institution. Uh, the Movement Center of Manitoba, I even have my little trusty little, I don't know, what do you call these things on the back of your cell phone? Popper? Popper it's thing. Pop socket. That's its name? Pop Seriously? socket. See, Olivia <laughs> Olivia Dirksen here stepping up to the plate and letting us know what the cool stuff and what the cool kids know. And uh, it saved my fingers over the last couple of years. So thank you very much for that. Olivia Dirksen <laughs> is the executive director of the Movement Center of Manitoba. Barbara Dick is here. She's one of the organizers. She's also a client, or she's been associated, right? Because uh, one of your children, my ch- daughter, your my daughter, daughter, yeah, has attended the um, Movement Center since she was five, and she's sixteen now. Mm. Also, an, an another Olivia. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's yes. right. So before we go any further, we have to tie this back. I like to do segues. So we have to tie this back to our conversation about the origins of names. And Barbara, I've known you now going on four years, and I'm always uncomfortable making sure that I want to say your name properly, but I know what it is. But you're telling me that a lot of people are uncomfortable pronouncing your name because they want to call you Barbara. So where does your name Barbara come from? Well, uh, it's Swedish, actually. So um, my mother, originally from Germany, uh, lived in Sweden for a number of years before she moved to Canada. And she met my dad and ended up falling in love, staying, never left. Um, And uh, one of her best friends in Sweden, her first name was Barbro. And that's actually a very common name in Sweden. And I think uh, the the only other Barbro I've ever heard of that has lived in Winnipeg, apparently was one a wife of one of the Jets from way back. Um, there was a Barbro wife of one of the Winnipeg Belly Jets. Belly Pecacatola. Oh, is that on. right? Is that right? That. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> come on. It sounds like that could be right. I'm, you keep talking. I'm going to... Oh, she's going to look it up. Go ahead. Okay. 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 Tell him he's wrong. That could be right because he's finished. That could be That could be very right, actually. Yeah, unless it's Ulf Nielsen's wife. It is Ulf Nielsen. And we have a signed jersey of his that's in the silent auction at Winstock. You do not. Yes, we do. And it was. it's game-worn and has the 1975-76 Canadian Olympic patch on it from Montreal, and there's a backstory to that. Yeah, so that uh, is one of the amazing items that's been donated to the auction. Yeah, that's fantastic. So tell us about Winstock, Olivia. I know you have to tell us about the origin of your name real quick because you have a shout out to give at the same time. Well, I'm named after uh, my grandmother Olive, and it's her birthday today. So happy birthday, Grandma! Perfect. That's so great. So Winstock, this has been going on for 15 years, and for 11 years, the Movement Center of Manitoba has been the benefactor of the tremendous amount of energy, work, and volunteer uh, energy that's gone into this. But the money, the money, let's face it, is critical in keeping the doors open at the Movement Center. Yeah. So Winstock, we've been partners with uh, Winstock. This is our actual, well, our 10th anniversary um, being the beneficiary of this event. And um, this this event in itself runs one-third of our programming. So without this, we couldn't offer one-third of our services. So it's really important to us. Um, and the rela- uh, relationship runs deep uh, with Winstock. But uh, it's a really fun night. It's a battle of the bands, and there's a lot of professionals out uh, that evening. So lawyers, accountants, surgeons um, that are wannabe rockers. So they rock it out and, uh, battle and you've got to judge them. So are they good wannabe rockers? Well, from what I've heard, yes. <laughs> Why the trepidation, <laughs> Olivia? They are very good. It is an absolute blast. It's impossible not to get up and, and want to dance and participate, yeah. Barbara. It, it, it's, it's a very special event, not 
only with regard to where the money goes and why we're doing this, but it's a very unique event. It's unlike anything that, that happens in the city. Well, you're absolutely right. And I, you know, when Olivia and I were coming here, we were just saying how Winstock really is, represents, uh, you know, Winnipeg being Winnipeg. I mean, there are so many unique people involved, giving their time, talented, you know, these are Winnipeg lawyers, doctors, accountants, people from all various business sectors who also are kind of closet musicians, wannabe rock stars. And so, you know, this is their chance to get up on stage and, and you know, uh, strut their stuff and, and enjoy the limelight, but at the same time, give their time towards um, an event that, as Olivia was saying, really over the 10-year relationship with the Movement Centre has raised uh, over $700,000 for the Movement Centre in the time that we've been involved. There's a organizing committee that's made up of, um, you know, cross-section of Winnipeggers who are committed to this event and the charities that Winston has supported over the years. Um, so, you know, we're really grateful to work with that board, volunteers that are there. And then, and then we have our sponsors that um, continuously support this event, um, people that donate, as I mentioned, that Ulf Nielsen jersey. You know, we've got a great auctions going on this year. So it really is um, an honor to be involved with this event and an honor to be the um, the partner charity yeah. um, for the, num- the years that we have. And you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, my daughter does go to the Movement Center. So, you know, I, I can sort of see this event from two sides and I can speak on behalf of the families, you know, the people who whose lives have been changed from um, uh, the help and the caring staff at the Movement Center. It's a very unique um, conductive education rehabilitation program that's offered there. And um, yeah, it uh, it's able to individualize on on somebody's specific goals, no matter where you are in your path to become independent. Um, there's a plan that's there and, you know, there's great programming for children and adults. Um, um, so, you know, and Olivia, please jump in. Um, well, and you've seen it firsthand with your Olivia, right? Right. The changes at home and the independence that uh, yeah. that she's received from yeah. the program. Yeah, it's, you know, we, we're, um, uh, truly it is life-changing. We didn't really know what, what our... Uh, what the future would hold. You know, Olivia had um, uh, a stroke before she was born. So she has a very complicated layered diagnosis that involves a visual impairment and um, cerebral palsy that affects the left side of her body. She has a cognitive delay and and um, and some autistic-like features. So, I mean, when you read that on paper, you think, what is this child really going to be able to do? And when you see what she's doing today, uh, it really, truly is a miracle, and the Movement Center is 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 has played a major role in um, uh, building Olivia's confidence. And and um, what was she what's she doing today that she might not have been years ago? Well, um, you know, so many things. I mean, just basic things like um, dressing herself, and I mean that's a skill that she learned at the Movement Center, really, because you know at home you tend to kind of you know. T- you know, like with all your kids, you want to, you know, they want to relax. They don't want to work hard. They want, you know, you want to help them. You're in a rush. You, you know, you don't want to. Well, at the movement center, you know, that was, that's a goal for her. She arrives for her two and a half hours. The first thing they do is they change into their work clothes. So she has to, you know, she's had to learn to do that herself. And then, and then, and then, you know, nobody's helping her, but they're coaching her along. And then, once she does that, then she has to find her way to the room where they're going to be doing their their therapy. And, and so, you know, for her to learn where she is in space, her balance, her just her um, 
like physical movements and her strength, all of that's evolved over the years that she's been there. There's a there's a social aspect because the classes are all done in a group setting with a one-to-one person helping each client. So it's very fun. They motivate each other, um, you know, and so if it's for children, there's lots of play and singing and they make it fun because that's what motivates kids. Uh, you know, it's a different format for the adults. So um, it really is a very special place. Couldn't ask for a stronger endorsement than that, Olivia. I know. I mean, what, how do you how do you top that? How do you how do you expand upon? Very what simply, or... miracles happen every day at the Movement Center. Yeah, it's a special yeah. place. What's the website if people want? There's some incredible videos as well uh, about the effects of this, and and how do people reach out? And how how do they how do they learn more about the Movement Center? Movementcenter.ca or stop by. We're at sixteen forty six Henderson, uh, or give us a call two zero four four eight nine two six seven nine. How do we get tickets for Windstock? That's the other question. Okay, so Windstock.ca uh, tickets are available online twenty five dollars. Uh, they'll be available at the door as well. So, you know, if you're, um, and the event is at um, Canadins uh, Destination Center, Windsor Park, Cowboys um, Roadhouse. That's quite a mouthful, but that's where it is. That's where it is. <laughs> One of the best stages in the city. It's a and, fantastic setup. And I should mention, you know, they've been a partner for the all 15 years of this event. Fantastic. That's been our, our, the venue partner. So thank you very much to them. And uh, this is about judging the bands, right? Like this is where I, my judginess could come in. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Is there a buzzer? No buzzer, no hook. But you get. But we the, can have one. I need to have a catchphrase of some sort. You know, like work on that. I will. Okay, I got a year. You're, you're fired. I signed myself not, up. By the way, not you're no, fired. No, I'm not taking your fired. You're, no. you're you are hired. You're hired. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Come on, positivity reigns That's supreme right. at, sure. at Windstock and at the Movement Center for sure. So the doors open at six o'clock on Friday. It starts at six forty-five. And Greg Mackling will be judging one of the bands. The bands, by the way, are named Britney Spears, and that's spelled dollar sign P-E-E-R-Z. These post-fab four lads all hail from Liverpool in their dreams, and with fake English accents, they'll deliver a set of classic British rock that is just one of the four bands that are going to bring you some awesome entertainment on Friday. Olivia Dirksen with the Movement Center of Manitoba and Barbara Dick also with the Movement Center. Or she is a client and organizer of this event. Thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate the visit. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.